focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Che Ji-hee and Lee Ji-sun. Guys, welcome back. Good Hello. evening. All right, uh, we are going to start things off with the local elections. We also had the parliamentary by-elections as well. Up for grabs in Wednesday's local elections, 17 metropolitan mayors and provincial governors, 226 lower-level council heads, 779 seats in the provincial and metropolitan council as well, not to mention... 2,602 in lower-level local councils. Uh, of course, Jisun had a full-on coverage on this for two days during Korea in numbers. Jisun, uh, you're going to start us off with uh, yesterday's uh, election results. So the final voter turnout of the local elections was 50.9%. Before the blackout period, 71.5% of Koreans said that they are strongly willing to vote. But the final voter turnout was only 50.9%. The turnout of the early voting was tailed at 20.62%, the largest ever for early voting in local elections. But the final turnout came to 50.9%, the second lowest ever for local elections. But what really matters is the result. People Power Party, the ruling party, scored a landslide victory in the local elections, which was held yesterday. The candidates of the ruling party defeated their opponents in most key regions. This morning at 6.50 a.m., with more than 99% of the votes counted, the candidates of the People Power Party won in 12 out of 17 elections to select the metropolitan mayor and provincial governors. To start things off with the Seoul mayoral position, the People Power Party's Seoul mayoral candidate Oh Se-hun defeated his competitor Song Young-gil of the Democratic Party by earning 59% of the votes when Song Young-gil earned 39%. And this made Oh Se-hun the first mayor of Seoul to serve four times. And considering how the Seoul mayoral post has been considered a stepping stone for a presidency, this win may boost his possibility of becoming a potential candidate for the next presidential election. Moving on to Incheon's mayoral position, Yu Jung-bok won over the Democratic Party's Park Nam-chun with 51%. Park Nam-chun came in with 44%, so he was 7 percentage points shy. The People Power Party also won in both South and North Chungcheong provinces. Also, they clinched victory in their strongholds, the North and South Gyeongsang provinces, but they also won Gangwon-do province, which was known to be a centrist area. Even in cities of Sejong and Daejeon, as well as Daegu, Ulsan, and Busan, candidates of the People Power Party won. In detail, Daegu, Hong Junpyo of the People Power Party won about 79%, and moving on to Busan, Park Kyung-jun of the People Power Party, he won with 66.9%. Meanwhile, the former presidential candidate who contested President Yoon Seok-yeol, Lee Jae-myung, and An Chul-soo, they both participated in the parliamentary by-elections held alongside the local elections yesterday. An Chul-soo successfully made a political comeback through the by-elections. Lee Jae-myung won 55% of the vote in the by-election for a parliamentary seat representing Kaeyang-B district in Incheon City. An Chul-soo, who ran for a seat representing Pundang A district in Seongnam, won by earning more than 62% of the votes. Yeah, I, I think with, uh, you know, because we 
kind of only based it on the the surveys, right, uh, that mm-hmm. we had. Uh, we knew that An Chersu was going to win comfortably. We know, I mean, Hong Junpyo was going to win very easily as well. The big question mm-hmm. was Lee Jae-myung, right, because the survey, it was really a close call. It was uh, mm-hmm. really neck and neck, but uh, Lee Jae-myung turned, uh, turned out, uh, despite some of the controversial comments that he made on the uh, Kimpo airport that uh, didn't really affect his voting. Uh, nevertheless, out of all the things, uh, we, I kind of mentioned this right before the show because I come into work very early in the morning and mm-hmm. The results were still not out by then. We're talking about the Gyeonggi-do province governor race. We had candidate Kim Dong-yeon of the Democratic Party, who, by the way, also briefly ran for the presidential election as well. Uh, he went off with against uh, Kim Eun-hye of the People Power Party. I mean, this was a really, really close call. Mm-hmm. I, this was, it took all night and up until the morning, until we finally got the results. Uh, Chihi, let's, let's get the details of this. Right. So the race for Gyeonggi-do province governor between Kim Dong-yeon and Kim Eun-hye was a very close one, like you said. Uh, while it seemed that Kim Eun-hye of the People Power Party would win the race as she was ahead of her opponent, candidate Kim Dong-yeon, uh, he flipped the race at the last minute with less than 5% of votes left to count. So the race resulted in a victory for Kim Dong-yeon early this morning, who gained a little more than 8,000 votes. Uh, Upon accepting the win, Kim said he will focus on and devote everything to the financial situations and quality of life of Gyeonggi-do's residents. And he also acknowledged the unfavorable situation in terms of the election as a whole, uh, saying that we need reforms and changes to the Democratic Party, and that he said Gyeonggi-do voters gave him the honor of uh, planting the seeds of hope for this to happen. While the recent elections were a defeat overall for the main opposition party, uh, the Democratic Party, and a failure in a second national election after the presidential election, the Justice Party's outcome was also quite devastating. Uh, So although there were seven candidates from the Justice Party who took part in the elections, no one received votes of over 5%. So it seems that the standing for the party in the city districts and local county offices nationwide will grow smaller as the number of votes gained is remarkably low. Uh, Meanwhile, the Democratic Party Leadership Committee resigned altogether to take responsibility of the party's crushing defeat in the local elections. Uh, the DP's uh, co-interim chief's representative Yoon Ho-jung and Park Ji-hyun announced this at a press conference held after an unofficial meeting that was held this morning. Yeah, I was just kind of uh, briefly looking at the, the history of uh, Gyeonggi-do region, uh, whether or not it leans towards uh, the conservative side or the liberal side, but it just goes back and forth. Mm, I was looking does. at uh, the 19th presidential election, for instance. Uh, it was President Moon Jae-in, but I mean, President Moon Jae-in kind of won very easily over uh, you know, Hong Jun-pyo at the time. I looked at when Lee Myung Park uh, mm-hmm. was elected. Park Geun-hye had won Gyeonggi-do very, on a very slim margin. And then uh, Lee Myung Park before that won Gyeonggi-do region uh, with a big amount. It goes back and forth. That's why you know they were saying that amongst all the areas, I think, that the parties want, the PPP really wanted Gyeonggi-do uh, right. province. But I guess a, kind of a s- silver lining for the Democratic Party, right? Which still, by the way, uh, lost in a landslide difference here. So again, PPP having won 12 out of 17 at gubernatorial position. What does this mean uh, for the sitting president, Yoon Sagyar Jisan? 
This landslide victory of the ruling People Power Party in the local elections is expected to provide President Yoon Suk-yeol more leverage in his management of the state affairs. We talked about how the results of the local elections are going to strengthen or weaken the mandates of the Yoon administration. President Yoon already started his presidency with this setback. The main opposition party, Democratic Party, still dominates the National Assembly. The DP won a landslide victory in the parliamentary ex- elections in 20. 2018 when President Moon was upsetting president. Considering how the main opposition party holds the majority of the National Assembly seats, it is said that this landslide win in the local election is exactly what uh, Yoon suk desperately needed. The local elections are held every four years, and usually it is considered a referendum on the administration of the sitting president. But this time, the lo- local elections were held only 22 days after Yoon Sagara was inaugurated on May 10th. So it is considered more like an extended round of the presidential election, which Yoon Sagara won by a margin of just 0.73 percentage points and defeated Lee Jae-myung about three months ago. In that respect, according to a personnel from the presidential office yesterday. The result of the local elections means that the honeymoon phase with the public has been extended, which will eventually give a huge support to the Yoon's administration. Also, Hong Kyung-sik, a political analyst and director of Hangil Research, said for Yoon Sagir to earn much support right after his May 10th inauguration, which is a very important moment of his five-year tenure, will greatly help him establish key national policies and push for them. Uh, this landslide win of PPP and the local elections for Yoon Sagir will be like having a powerful ally on his side for the rest of his tenure because his five-year tenure will overlap with f- the four-year tenure of the governors. Yoon Sagir's mandates will more effectively apply to the municipal regions, uh, but the first two years of Yoon Sagir and the governors, who were candidates of the ruling party, will be all the more crucial for them to win the seats at the National Assembly in the parliamentary elections slated for 2024. The controversial policies and pledges Yoon Sagar pushes will definitely get accelerated and they're passing thanks to the win of the people PPP in the local elections. These pledges include removing the Ministry of Family and Gender Equality and providing more than 2.5 million housings in the market, lifting regulations on corporation, taking a hawkish stand and actions towards North Korea. However, within the presidential office, there are voices claiming instead of pushing the opposition parties to a corner, it is important to display gestures of cooperation. And this is because it is possible for the Democratic Party to be a little bit more supportive to Yoon's administration after their big loss yesterday. On May 26th, President Yoon Sagir said that every citizen of South Korea deserves a fair and equal chance regardless of where they live in. As the regional power shift from the DP to PPP, it is expected that communications between central and the municipal governments will be done smoothly. President Yoon is planning to hold a meeting with the newly elected 17 governors this month to talk about balanced regional growth. He's also planning to come up with policies that are in favor of the Honam region, which is traditionally known as the DP stronghold. That's right. Uh, just kind of going back uh, to a different kind of issue that we briefly mentioned here. Uh, it was a surprise that the voter turnout rate was this low because mm-hmm. when we saw the early voting, right, 20, mm-hmm. you know, over 20 percent, it was the highest ever. A lot of people are anticipating that it was going to go over 60 percent. It turns out it was slightly over 50, the second lowest uh, ever 
uh, into this. Again, I mean, uh, you're looking at unlike the presidential election, which didn't garner the highest number of voter turnout. Still, it had a pretty high uh, voter turnout rate. The local elections really, again, didn't grab much attention from the voters here, which, again, led to the low voter turnout. Chihi, let's uh, talk a little bit more about this. Sure. So local elections usually see a much lower uh, voter turnout than other elections, although the local elections this time saw a promising early voting, like you said. Uh, turnout over the weekend. The aggregate turnout fell much lower than expected and marked one of the lowest rates seen for any local elections in the country. Uh, So the National Election Commission announced the tentative voter turnout by 7.30 p.m. Wednesday to be 50.9 percent, as Chisun had earlier mentioned as well. And this is 9.3 percent lower than the 60.2 percent turnout reached in the previous 2018 local elections. Now, the latest figure is the second lowest voter turnout recorded in South Korea's local elections history, uh, coming behind 48.9 percent in the third ever local elections, which was held in uh, 2002. And this week's was the eighth uh, elections. And the notably low turnout is attributable to voters' feelings of fatigue towards the elections, they say, uh, which occurred only 84 days after the presidential election. And also the fact that there were not many issues to grab voters' attention was also pointed to as a reason why there was a low turnout. And of the 17 cities and provinces, uh, the South Jeollado province, or Jeonnam, recorded the highest turnout of 58.5 percent, uh, followed by Gangwon with 57.8 percent, uh, South Gyeongsang province, Gyeongnam, with 53.4 percent, Seoul, 53.2 percent, Gyeonggi, 50.6 percent, and Incheon, Daegu, and Busan all recorded uh, figures lower than 50 percent, which was even lower than the national average. Now, Gwangju uh, recorded the lowest turnout with 37.7 percent, and analysts assume the low turnout to have been influenced also by low participation among those in their 20s and 30s. Uh, and another explanation is that there was no particular issue to grab people's attention. So if we take a look at the local elections of the past, each of them had an attention-grabbing like hot topic or issue of that year. So uh, that of 2010 was the free school lunch program. Yeah, or Musangup- Yes, yeah. uh, we call it in Korean. And 2014, of course, the Sewer Ferry tragedy. And 2018 <coughs> was the inter-Korean summit and peace process. But this year, there wasn't anything uh, much to call an issue for the year. And And some also say that many of the uh, Democratic Party supporters did not vote in the recent local elections after experiencing the defeat of DP's Lee Jae-myung in the presidential election. And on the other hand, supporters of the ruling party have more motivation and a reason to vote as they have to help the party and the UN administration to gain more power. And this can be backed by the particularly low turnout of Gwangju as well, uh, a region often dubbed the heart of the Democratic Party. Uh, Like I said it was about 30 percent the voter turnout and an expert said the figure may be a representation of the people's disappointment towards the democratic party all right so you know normally again if you compare it to like the presidential elections the the general elections and then you have the local elections i mean the local elections often get like the last you know the least amount of attention right Mm -hmm. Uh, but Mm -hmm. nevertheless i think still 
considering the coverage on the local elections and the parliamentary by-elections, it was still a major thing. It's unfortunate that people just didn't uh, go out there and vote. I, I want to get your take uh, on this uh, recent local elections and the parliamentary by-elections as well. Chizan, uh, your, your take on this. Well, personally, I agree with the experts saying all of these political reasons. But at the same time, the weather was very beautiful yesterday. And people were very <laughs> tired of the COVID, uh, COVID situation going on for the past two or more years. And since the weather was beautiful and they had the whole holiday off, maybe a lot of people were just having fun instead of going to the voting sites. Also, I kind of want to think about what is going to happen uh, with the Kimpo Airport. Is it going to close? Is it going to merge with the Incheon airport or not? That is going to be a big issue. Uh, what about yourself, Chi? Uh, uh, well, the results, I think, uh, reflect the voters' belief that they must support the current government, uh, Yoon's administration, as well as the ruling People Power Party, uh, so that they can do well and successfully carry out the agendas they have set forth uh, over the next five years. And But then the ruling party and the Yoon administration, although they would be celebrating this huge victory, they shouldn't be complacent because, like we've been talking about, there was a low voter turnout and many of the Democratic Party supporters are believed to not have voted, as we saw in Gwangju's turnout as well. And although the Democratic Party saw a huge loss, they must display gestures of cooperation, as Chisan has mentioned earlier, and they should accept their loss and try to just cooperate with the ruling party moving forward. I mean, they did accept the loss. Yeah, they I did. mean, you know, we're seeing a number of uh, DP leaders actually offering to quit, right, uh, their posts in these uh, temporary posts that they have. And I think, you mm -hmm. know, they definitely uh, felt that, uh, you know, they weren't doing enough. Right. And uh, that's the reason why the votes uh, came in like they came in. But, you know, a lot of people are saying like the local elections and the parliamentary by-elections, it was a kind of an early barometer as to how the mm. UN administration mm. was. I, I I disagree. It's too close, right? Yeah. Like it's close. Mm. It's only been like... 22 days. Yeah, like three weeks yeah. since uh, they started the inauguration. Mm. And, you know, the UN administration knew that they had the lo local elections going on, so they weren't going to do anything big. Uh, if anything, the, the biggest thing that they did was something that they just can't lose out on and it's just that uh, you know the financial assistance on the mm -hmm. small business owners right. which is something that you know rarely do you see the dp and the ppp collaborate and agree on something mm -hmm. and that was the another thing that the dp had actually agreed on was the financial assistance and uh, you know the reason i think you made a very good point uh, the reason why i think we had an early voter turnout was people wanted a day off mm, on mm. Wednesday. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, because of now the COVID restrictions being eased, people just wanted to just go out and I don't know, go on a vacation, go on a, a short trip because the UN administration didn't do any good. I think this in some ways, like it's a good thing for the UN administration. If there was something like something terrible they did in the three weeks, right? And then which kind of turned uh, the voters of Yoon Sagyar because uh, there was a lot of swing voters during the presidential mm. elections. I think if he did something poorly and they didn't like something about the UN administration, they would have came out and voted mm. uh, against the, uh, you know, the, the, the PPP. But that didn't happen because there was nothing big that happened. The big mm -hmm. thing I think that we need to look at, uh, I'm sure everyone, uh, I'm sure the PPP, the one that they really want to win is the mm -hmm. next general elections in 2024, right? right? Because this is, that's kind of like the big uh, hurdle that the UN administration has to go through. I mean, yeah, they have the central power, but at the National Assembly, the DP uh, still has an overwhelming number there. Mm -hmm. So the 2024 uh, local, uh, general elections is going to be the big thing. That's going to be the real test. Right. 
of what the the UN administration will do for the next uh, two years, mm -hmm. right? And so, I think that's going to be uh, very very interesting. Whether or not they could flip that. If they do, that means they're doing a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that, that'll certainly be uh, a midterm report card for the UN mm -hmm. administration. Uh, let's turn our focus to foreign affairs this time. We had spe U.S. Special Envoy Sung Kim uh, coming here in Korea today to talk about uh, North Korea-related issues with his uh, counterparts of uh, South Korea and Japan. He's going to be here until the 4th, I believe. Jisung, let's get some more details on this. So Song Kim, like you said, is expected to visit Korea for three days from June 2nd to 4th for talks on North Korea with his South Korean and Japanese counterparts. Song Kim is the U.S. Special Representative for the DPRK Ambassador. He will participate in a trilateral meeting hosted by Kim Gon, Special Representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs. Joining the two in the trilateral meeting is Japanese Director General for, for Asian and Ocean. Oceanian Affairs, Funakoshi Takehiro. The meeting will be the first face-to-face -face meeting since South Korean envoy Kim Gon took office. According to the U.S. State Department yesterday, the three envoys will address a wide range of issues related to North Korea, of course, including its recent ICBM launches as well as its COVID-19 situation. The department says Hong Kim will also reiterate the U.S. commitment to seeking dialogue with the DPRK, while also continuing work with the international community to address the North Korea's unlawful weapons of mass destruction and ballistic missile programs. The department says Kim's three-day agenda here in South Korea seeks to stress the close collaboration among Seoul, Washington, and Tokyo on North Korea-related issues, especially in ensuring complete denuclearization on the, North, uh, on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, in the meantime, the South Korean Defense Ministry announced today that the South Korean and uh, Chinese defense chiefs will be holding bilateral talks at the Shangri-La Dialogue. Uh, this is slated over next week uh, in Singapore, I believe. If the meeting proceeds as planned, I mean, this is going to be the first of its kind in three years. So, Ji, let's get the details of this. Sure. So, South Korean and Chinese defense chiefs will hold bilateral talks on the sidelines of a major international security forum, the Shangri-La Dialogue Asian Security Summit, to be held in Singapore from June 10th to the 12th. Uh, the meeting comes as South Korea's newly inaugurated defense minister, Lee Jong-seop, is set to make his international debut at the event. Now, China's Minister of National Defense and State Counselor Wei Feng He will also participate in the event and deliver a speech on China's vision for uh, regional order in the Asia-Pacific, according to the host of this event. Now, the bilateral meeting will be held at a sensitive time when the Yoon Seo-gyeol government has sought to strengthen the South Korea-U.S. combined defense posture and better align its regional policy with the Biden administration's Indo-Pacific strategy. Uh, and Seoul and Washington also pledged after the summit on May 21st to reinforce the U.S. extended deterrence and increase uh, combined military exercises against North Korea's continued missile and nuclear threats. Now, the unit government also aims to ensure the full capacity operation of a military base that hosts the U.S.-made Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, or THAAD, interceptor system at an early date, which China won't be happy about. Uh, and the defense ministerial meeting between Seoul and Beijing will also take place as North Korea has recently been uh, gearing up for a 
reportedly been gearing up for a seventh nuclear test. And the defense ministry, however, explained that the two countries will still need to continue the discussion uh, to discuss the schedule and the specific agenda topics for the meeting. But if the meeting goes as planned, it will be held for the first time in two years and seven months. So the last meeting that was held uh, between the ministers of South Korea and China was in November 2019 on the occasion of the 6th ASEAN Defense Ministers Meeting Plus, uh, which was held in Bangkok, Thailand. And the ministry, defense ministry announced the plan for the high-level meeting after holding virtual working-level defense talks with China this morning. And both sides exchanged views on the security situation on the the Korean Peninsula and other issues of mutual interest and discussed ways to boost military exchanges and cooperation, according to the ministry. And also during the working level talks, Seoul and Beijing agreed to swiftly set up more military hotlines uh, between their air forces and navies and operate the direct communication lines as well to prevent possible incidents and better manage crisis situations. Yeah, this is quite interesting because I think uh, a couple of days ago it was reported that the, the defense Chiefs of uh, the United States and China are going to be holding talks on the sidelines mm. of the Shangri-La Dialogue, which, I mean, it's another one. I believe that's also the first of its uh, three years as well. Uh, but I think a lot of people might be going, well, I mean, if the U.S. and China, their tensions are pretty bad, uh, why would they want to make any kind of discussions with current North? People might be thinking, you know, China wouldn't care if North Korea conducts nuclear weapons or fires these ballistic missiles. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually on the contrary. They don't like it when North Korea conducts mm -hmm. these uh, provocations because it just puts more focus on that region. You know, China doesn't want the U.S. to continuously, you know, scan that area where China is involved as well. And so right. that's the reason why China is probably going, listen, North Korea, you got to stop this <laughs> because you're bringing too much attention to the region. And the United States is also looking at this region, meeting us too. Uh, so it's going to get interesting uh, if China also gets involved uh, with discussions when it comes to North Korea. And of course, we all talked about this before. Uh, one of the keys is trying to get China to get involved in North Korea talks here as they are one of the few allies. Uh, we're going to turn our focus to uh, some COVID-19 related issues, but uh, we're going to start things off with our neighbors up north. We're talking about North Korea. Uh, North Korea disclosing its first COVID-19 case last month after saying that it was COVID-19 free for two years. Uh, I'm not sure how many people really believe that, but uh, what's uh, the current situation now, ji -sun? So on May 12th, North Korea disclosed its first COVID-19 case after claiming to be COVID-free for over two years, like you said, and announced a shift to the maximum emergency virus control system. Today, North Korea reported over 96,000 new fever cases, with the daily tally remaining under 100,000 for three straight days. According to the official Korean Central News Agency, in the span of 24 hours until 2, 6 p.m. yesterday, more than 96,000 1,610 people showed symptoms. The KCNA cited data from the State Emergency Epidemic Prevention Headquarters and then provided no further information regarding additional deaths. The KCNA said that the total number of quote-unquote fever cases since late April hit over 3.83 million as of 6 p.m. yesterday and that more than 6.6 million have recovered. Also, it added that at least 165,390 people are being treated. The country's daily fever tally peaked on May 15th at over 392,920, but it has since been a, on a downward trend. The daily new cases of quote 
quote-unquote fever was 100,710 on Sunday, but it has been under the 100,000 mark since the very next day. Today, despite having one of the worst health systems in the world, KCNA reported that more than 95% of the cases had recovered. According to the KCNA, North Korea put in much effort to remain vigilant and to intensify its antivirus campaign. And in an article written in English, the KCNA said, and I quote, the emergency epidemic prevention sectors in different parts of the country concentrate their efforts on turning their regions into epidemic safe zones. It also added that North Korea has increased the production of the anti-epidemic supplies in the northern Yanggangdo province and the western city of Nampo, while an obstacle in coastal areas against the spread of the virus is quote-unquote further intensified. You know, again, I, I, I hate to say this over and over again because it mm. almost sounds as if like I'm wishing bad things to happen in North Korea, <laughs> but it's not. I just don't believe the numbers mm. because when you look at, you know, considering the, the medical infrastructure that North Korea has, right? Mm. You compare the numbers, the numbers in like the hundred thousands and what South Korea went through when they had numbers in the hundred thousands, despite one of the best medical facilities and uh, infrastructure in the world, mm. they still reported double digit uh, fatality. Exactly. Uh, we, we had even cases where it reached 100 mm. in a single day, right? And even with vaccinations. Too, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I question, I, I'm pretty sure uh, the, the vaccination rate in North Korea is like zero. Uh, close to zero. Mm. I almost feel like it's always only like the, the high-ranking officials that were probably vaccinated somehow. Uh, but you're right, absolutely right. The vaccination rate is so low. I don't think the the death toll numbers that they're giving out is it's real. Uh, I don't think the COVID nineteen numbers are actually real. And who else is thinking this way? <laughs> While WHO had some concerning uh, remarks regarding North Korea. So what exactly did they say? So the World Health Organization, the WHO, has cast doubt over North Korea's claim that its COVID-19 situation is getting better. Uh, while there is no independent data on the new COVID-19 cases in North Korea, the WHO believes that the situation is getting worse not better. North Korean state media has claimed the COVID wave has abated after daily numbers of people with fever topped 390,000 about two weeks ago. North Korea has never directly confirmed how many people have tested positive for COVID, but experts suspect some underreporting in the figures released through government-controlled media. Yesterday, Dr. Mike Ryan, WHO Executive Director for Health and Emergencies, said that the situation there in North Korea is in fact worsening. He added that the WHO does not have access to any privileged information other than the number publicly reported by the state media in North Korea. Meanwhile, the WHO says that it has provided three rounds of vaccine aid to North and is continuing to do so. Uh, Dr. Ryan said that the WHO is working with South Korea and China to get a better picture of what is really going on and to get aid in North Korea. South Korea has also said North Korea's reporting appears to be aimed at boosting internal unity. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is, I think. I <laughs> You know, basically to go, listen, uh, because they never want to say to their people that we have a really poor medical infrastructure, mm. right? And I love the way that Kim Jong-un kind of blamed his top officials for doing a bad job when, I mean, in fact, I mean, if you're the top at the head, I mean, who's responsible, right? Mm. You're, you're kind of responsible for all of this. But to say, look, 
Uh, we went through the COVID-19 outbreak just like everyone else did because I think it's gotten to the point where they can't hide that anymore, mm, right? Like everyone true. is getting sick. You can't say we don't have COVID-19. Right. And so, but now they can say, well, but look, no one's dying. Uh, the numbers are going down right now. We live in a great country, right? I mean, so that that's, I mean, obvious judging by the numbers because still, I think scientifically, it just makes no sense uh, with the kind of medical infrastructure that they have. They have they're reporting this little fatality figures right now it's just it's unbelievable but again who knows what the actual figures are right Mm -hmm. but we do know the actual figures (laughs) of what's going on here in south korea so let's get the latest covid19 situation here in the country Uh, you have the details yes so south korea's daily new covid19 cases fell below 10,000 for the first time in 19 weeks But then the figure is lower than the previous day, uh, and this is possibly because there were fewer tests that were carried out on the local elections day, which was a national holiday. And according to the KDCA, the exact number stood at 9,898, which brought the total caseload to 18,129,313. And the tally dropped by about 6,000 from the previous day and about 8,900 from a week ago. Uh, And the number of critically ill patients dropped to 176, and the number is staying at the 100s for the sixth consecutive day now. And 15 more deaths were added, and now the fatality rate stands at 0.13%. Yeah, if there is, uh, I guess, some uh, silver lining to what uh, we went through mm-hmm. uh, here in the country, mm-hmm. I recently I looked at the uh, the top 10 COVID-19 infection numbers. Uh, South Korea is in there. You know, mm-hmm. we're amongst the top 10. But I, I, I think that's the only reason why that's the case is because we just really tested people. I don't think all the other countries really mm-hmm. tested anybody, uh, which is why it looks like we have more numbers than them. But if you look at the top 10 countries with infection numbers and their the fatality, the number of death toll, South Korea's death toll is significantly lower Mm. than everyone else. Mm. And uh, South Korea is amongst the countries that had the highest vaccination rate. I think they had the quickest response rate. Uh, They had the best treatment in place, the medical infrastructures in place. And also we masked up, unlike some of the other countries out Mm. there. So all that together. So I think, you know, some people praise what New Zealand has done. Some people praise what Australia has done. Actually, some people are also praising what China has been doing, although I think it was like too strict, uh, to be honest with you. But really shows you, which which is all the more reason why we don't really believe what North Korea's numbers are actually the numbers that are coming out right now. They don't even right. call it COVID-19. Mm-hmm. They just call it fever case yeah. too, right? Uh, nevertheless, guys, thank you very much for your thorough report on some of these issues and your insights as well. Please stay safe. And uh, we'll see you guys again. See you again. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.